Welcome, everyone, to the John Topovich Show. <laughs> My guest today is Rye Downey, poetry writer and author of the book Flowers Leaning Toward the Sun. Oh, this camera. <laughs> <laughs> and the upcoming book, The Dinosaurs Are Orange in Seattle. I love that title. Rye, thanks for being on the show. Dude, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm really stoked. Yeah. Now we're here to talk about poetry, which is something that I don't have a lot of experience with, but I'm actually really interested in talking about it because I feel like there's a lot to, to learn about here. So, um, Rye, I think it'd be fun to just start off by saying, like, how did you get started writing poetry? All right. So <clears throat> there's a bit of a story, I guess. Um, so I started writing poetry when I was in high school, um, and it was all like super rhymy. Uh, and it was like, you know, my, my love life and all the like heartbreaks and stuff like that. And, uh, it just ended up feeling like, or sounding like, um, someone was trying to write poetry, which is kind of like the kiss of death when you're trying to write actual honest poetry. Um, so what do you mean by that? So I mean that if you're trying to write something that you think that someone else wants to hear, or if you're writing something out of some preconceived idea that is not exactly yours about what poetry is, then it's going to come off sounding <clears throat> at best, not like you. And at worst, like just something very like self-indulgent. Yeah. And, uh, so there's something like that's off about the poetry itself, and it's like people can't sometimes put their finger on it, but you can just kind of tell it's either disingenuous or like, yeah. Exactly, and it's not necessarily like, um, not intentionally disingenuous by any sort, like stretch of the imagination. Like, there are a lot of people out there, uh, I know right now, who are writing poetry that is absolutely from their heart, but it still isn't quite them and not honest and like not their true voice or not their true poetry. And it's honestly, I feel like it's a, a pursuit and, um, a process that takes a lifetime to like, you know, get the voice that you are trying to achieve at, which is your own. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Um, so from my understanding, the short version of that answer, why you got started writing poetry was to like express yourself about um, maybe like women or breakups or things, things of that nature. It was like a, a, a form of self-expression. Yeah. And so were they for yourself or were they for the, the your interests, both? <laughs> uh, definitely it approached both, but for the most part, it was for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, most people have never seen those poems. Uh, I thought they were like, I thought they were gone until yeah. uh, <clears throat> a couple months ago. Uh, through COVID, I've been actually staying with my parents. And uh, so I found a treasure trove if you want to call it that, of my old work. And I found the uh, the spiral notebook that I wrote all those poems in. I was just like, oh my God, no one's going to see these. <laughs> I haven't destroyed them yet, so I can't guarantee that. But Yeah. <laughs> 100 years later. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> SpongeBob reference? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> kind of. Um, but why poetry? Like, you could have just written... Uh, prose, right? Like you could have just written free form. Like, why does it have to rhyme or have subtext? Or, I, I mean, again, I don't know a lot about poetry, but like the things that I have read about it, it's like it's a certain style that you've chosen. And if it, I don't know, if it's for yourself, why does it matter? Like for me, maybe I would just want to just get it out on a piece of paper just for self reflection, but to then take it a step further and put it within a certain like style. It's like, what drove you to do that? Well, I will start off by saying that after my first failed foray into poetry, I started writing short stories and novels. Okay. Um, and I wrote about three novels. None of them ever saw the light of day, never published them. I never, uh, I didn't think they were good enough, but um, when I was in college, I had a group of writing friends and uh, they all suggested that I do poetry, and I was just like, no, I don't want, I, don't, I suck at poetry. And it was just kind of like this thing that I believed about myself because of the old poems I had read. And mm -hmm. then uh, I took a poetry class in college, and the professor totally ruined it for me. Like, he just turned me so far off of it that I didn't revisit the idea for... What'd they do? Oh, they just 
just the way they talked about poetry and I think it was the attitude of the teacher himself, mm-hmm. not necessarily his attitude about poetry, but just the way that he treated me and other students. I was just kind of like at the moment I was still learning, you know, I was still young. So like him and poetry became kind of dovetailed in my mind. And I found it very difficult to kind of shirk that idea. Uh, and then I stopped writing for a very long time because I was doing a lot of psychedelics mm-hmm. and I just didn't have like, the... wait, wait, I feel like that would have made you want to have written more poetry. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, for, oh, it was I that guess, much. I guess it, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it depends because there's, there's moments where I would have like a full train of thought. Um, and then I would start to try and like, um, expound upon it or you know elucidate it and it would just like fall flat i would Uh get like five words in and then the words would like evaporate it was like they hadn't fully imprinted themselves on me so as i was trying to speak them i would like rub them away okay so yeah uh so then after that i just kind of i went through another breakup and uh, i had stopped doing psychedelics for about hmm, about a half a year and then I just had like a, an angry voice that spoke up in my head and it's, uh, it's actually in that book. Um, it's called nuclear summer. And that was the first poem I ever wrote that sounded like me. And I felt a power and I felt a place of like a feeling of belonging when I wrote it. And I was like, Oh, this is a poem. Like I, I knew that it was a poem when I wrote it. And it's an almost like indescribable feeling, but I wrote the poem and I was just like, oh, I can do this. So this is what it's like to like speak like me and sound like me. Um, and so after that moment, I was kind of hooked. And uh, to go back to your question about why poetry, um, what's his name? There's a poet, he does a Billy Collins. He does a master class for writing poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that he said was poetry is like a diary with uh, the lock broken off. Hmm. And so what I think separates this po- right here, this guy. Yep. That's him. Okay. That's have Billy you been Collins. through this? Yes, I have. Oh, uh, interesting. I don't have the master pass, but I, I uh, specifically bought one pass for the master class that Billy Collins gave, and I thought it was great. Okay. And he has a bunch of interactive stuff, um, notebook uh, entries and stuff like that to um, to kind of follow through on the course with. So uh, I recommend it to anyone who wants to, to write poetry. Um, I guess ultimately I would say that poetry is different from prose or novels or short stories in that it tries to find the shortest route between language and emotion. Mm. So you can use uh, dream imagery or, you know, logic that doesn't quite make sense in either the grammatical or rhetorical um, sense but when you speak it, you feel it. Is there a quick way that you could give me an example to like illustrate this to people that are maybe not very imaginative? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I could probably find a. Um, I could should have come prepared with this. Uh, oh, it's okay. I think <laughs> I think some of the things that I was reading about um, when it comes to. Like, the differences between just writing in general and poetry is, uh, like, there is uh, subtext. Like, there is um, extra meaning sometimes. Or, like, um, th- like the words, the pattern of the arrangement or the words themselves can suggest extra meanings. Um, and that, um, let's see... Uh, like the sounds, the rhythms, the possible meanings, and the look of of the words themselves, they create like an experience. Um, they said it's a bit. I read that it's a bit like eating. That like a delicious meal isn't about a delicious meal isn't about anything. It's meant to be tasted and enjoyed. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, can you pull up the poem, uh, Howl by Allen Ginsberg? Yeah. Hold on one second. Howl? Howl. Yes. How do you spell? H-O-W-L? Yeah. Allen Ginsberg. 
I thought of a, an example as to to what I mean. Okay, here we go. Okay, so can you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just if you can, I don't know. I, I'm just gonna read the the first part. Okay, sure. And, and then I'll kind of try and like pick out something that is exemplary of what I mean. Sure. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn looking for an angry fix. Angel-headed hipsters burning for the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo and the machinery of night, who poverty and tatters and hollow-eyed and highs sat up smoking in the supernatural darkness of cold water flats, floating across the tops of cities contemplating jazz, who bared their brains to heaven under the L and saw Mohammedan angels staggering on tenement roofs illuminated who passed through universities with radiant cool eyes hallucinating Arkansas and Blake light tragedy among the scholars of war. Wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's intense, right? Exactly. And so the, the, phrase, yeah, I know he's, he's on one. Allen Ginsberg is one of my favorite poets of all time. Um, and so like angel headed hipsters, angry fix a lot of what poetry is is sound because it's very akin to music and back in the day one reason why it was rhymed so much was because it was sung Mm -hmm. so song lyrics we were talking about song lyrics earlier uh before the show started and poetry and they are very 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 similar and they were even more similar back in the day because they were much more metered and had a certain beat to them Mm. and now lately uh poetry still works that way uh according to which poet you read but sound is also very uh a very uh, key function to poetry so angel headed hipsters like you can hear those beats and they hit very uh heavily mm-hmm. and angel headed hipsters like you have the repeating h sound which is uh a kind of uh, it ingrains a kind of musicality into the lines I also noticed the alliteration in some parts, like it'll say smoking in the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it yeah. just like flows really well. Exactly. And then you have like, um, machinery of night, like that phrase, like, what does that mean? Like night machinery. Uh, that's what I mean by leaps of logic and kind of like dream imagery. Mm-hmm. Because when you say machinery of night, like it's, night, go ahead. What's well, left up to the person reading the poem like is it a robot is it a car exactly yeah no for sure and and i think that's where the inner meaning or subtext of poetry comes in but it's not so like cut and dried like the teachers that you had in school might try and make it Mm. so it's very much up to the interpretation of the person who is interacting with the text Okay. So I think that's another thing that I really want people to understand about poetry is that it is for you, like not necessarily for you to understand that there is one meaning and one meaning alone. That's like antithetical to poetry. Like art. Exactly. Yeah. It literally. There's not, there's not always one meaning when you look at a painting. It's like there can be multiple interpretations of that art. Exactly. And a lot of artists would say that the point of art is to make you feel something, Mm -hmm. even if you can't explain it. Mm. So even, so the, if you read a poem and you can't quite put your finger on what it means with words, but if you feel it, Mm -hmm. then it's done its job. So is that what you would define as a good poem is if it evokes some kind of strong emotion from you then it's accomplished its goal yes as long as it's doing it i don't unless you like read the poem and you're just like i hate this poem it's an awful poem (laughs) and then it's like it evoked the emotion of anger because you just hate it so much well i mean (laughs) there's always that danger for sure and you don't want someone to have that uh specific uh knee-jerk reaction to it but um i think as long as you're trying to convey your emotions in an honest way and you elicit a response like emotionally from the reader i think that's what we're trying to achieve Mm. If possible, I think the better you, an indicator of how well you've done it is how close to um, 
the emotion the reader gets that you are trying to create, but it's not 100% up to you and it's not the end all be all. Yeah. Like you just trying to make someone or help someone feel something. And it's even better when they didn't realize that they had felt something like that before. And suddenly it's here and someone else who they don't even know is saying the thing. Making somebody feel an emotion is hard to do. So, I mean, like if, if you can accomplish that with your words and like, bravo, like, Look at like Pixar, like their ability to like make you like cry in a Pixar movie. Like that's that's an art it's definitely an art form. And so like so if a poem long. makes you like feel something, if art makes you feel something, I feel like, you know, that's there's a lot of value in that. Absolutely. Uh, especially in a in a society that almost makes us apologize for emotions and uh-huh. feeling a certain type of way. Well, if you're a man, for sure. I think that um I think that men have definitely experienced the brunt of that, um, of that particular function of our society. But I think you would be hard pressed to find somebody who has never been told that they can't feel that way mm. or feeling that way is wrong. Whatever, whatever that way may be. I guess I just meant more so like, I guess when I think emotion, my first emotion that I, I don't know, I just think of, uh, crying or feeling sad and how those are kind of like, uh, emotions that are kind of um, told men are told like not to express, and yeah. so I, I don't know. Maybe I mean obviously there are more emotions than that, but yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that uh, for whatever reason, men are taught to see sadness and crying as being weak, mm-hmm. as opposed to being strong. Yeah, which it is a strength to be able to feel those emotions and. Uh, despite social norms. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I don't know. It's a function of a lot of different things in the culture, but especially like, you know, um, action movies and stuff like that, like, you know, mission impossible or, you know, Dwayne, the rock Johnson or the punisher or whatever. Like if something bad happens to us, we like yell no. And then we go and we kill whoever's responsible for doing this. And that's the appropriate response for men. According to popular culture, Uh that's what's shown to me. Like Mm -hmm. anger is more of an acceptable emotion uh, than sadness, especially yeah. for men, even yeah. though I think it's kind of, they're two sides of the same coin most yeah. of the time. It'd be interesting to do an experiment, like let somebody like grow up on an island with like no external emu- like influence at all. And then it's like, give them an experience that would make them angry, give them an experience that would make them sad, but like, see like, what would their like, their like biological instinct be? Like, how would they express themselves if there was nobody telling them or dictating like how they're allowed to express themselves yeah no that would be super interesting uh it kind of reminds me of brave new world but i haven't read that book in like a very long time yeah but basically it's like this futuristic society and then they find this guy who's been out in the middle of nowhere for however long and then they bring him into their civilization he's just like what the hell <laughs> like what is going like, on everyone takes the pill to be happy everyone's having sex with everyone yeah the soma and they go to yeah. like, the feelies and all that kind of stuff and this yeah. guy's out here like what have you all done <laughs> so um do you have a like a favorite poem that we could look at and i and i was um i thought that maybe we could like analyze like something that you considered to be like one of your favorites uh one that you wrote one that you didn't write okay yeah what yes. do you think about that uh, I would love to. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give a shout out to my boy Rumi, um, R-U-M-I. And uh, his real name is like Jaludin Rumi. And he was uh, born in what is modern day Turkey, lived in uh, modern day Iran. Uh, and he was born around the same time as Shakespeare. Okay. So um, the title of the poem is uh, I Have Five Things to Say. Okay. Here we go. Rock on. The wakened lover speaks directly to the beloved. You are the sky my spirit circles in, the love inside of love, the resurrection place. Let this window be your ear. I have lost consciousness many times with longing for your listening silence and your life-quickening smile. You give attention to the smallest matters, 
my suspicious doubts into the greatest. You know my coins are counterfeit, but you accept them anyway. My impudence and my pretending. I have five things to say, five fingers to give into your grace. First, when I was apart from you, this world did not exist, nor any other. Second, whatever I was looking for was always you. Third, why did I ever learn to count to three? <laughs> Fourth, my cornfield is burning. Fifth, this finger stands for Arabia, and this is for someone else. Is there a difference? Are these words or tears? Is weeping speech? What shall I do, my love? So he speaks, and everyone around begins to cry with him, laughing crazily, moaning in the spreading union of lover and beloved. This is the true religion. All others are thrown away bandages beside it. This is the sema of slavery and mastery of dancing together. This is not being. Neither words nor any natural fact can express this. I know these dancers. Day and night I sing their songs in this phenomenal cage. My soul, don't try to answer now. Find a friend and hide. But what can stay hidden? Love's secret is always lifting its head out from the covers. Here I am. Wow. Let's see, and then there's this bottom part about <clears throat> who Ramia was. Mm -hmm. The woman mystic from Basra who said that a love for God should not come out of fear or hope, but in response to the beauty in the heart. She once sat indoors with her eyes closed on a lovely spring morning to teach that external magnificence is only a reflection of inner kindness and generosity, and that is divine grace. Sima, the deep listening of the ecstatic turning. Wow. So what is it about this poem that you uh, consider it to be a favorite? So first of all, I love Rumi because he, it's, he's almost always talking to God or he's almost always talking as God mm -hmm. or he's talking as himself to someone he loves, whether it be God or someone else who is human. And it's almost always impossible to tell the difference. Hmm. He, and he switches a lot between I and you and we uh, in his poems. And I feel like it's he's tapping into a bunch of different consciousnesses at the same time. Hmm. And um, almost like there's no difference. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I love that line where he says this is the uh, the SEMA of slavery and mastery or um this is the something like beloved and beloved, like the the merging of the two, because he's a very like mystic person. He was a Sufi Muslim, and Sufis are very uh, they're a little bit different than you know traditional Muslims. They're very um, they're about ecstatic experience and dancing, and you know whirling dervishes. Uh, those come from Sufi. Uh, beliefs so where you like dance in a circle to achieve a certain type of rapture or um, ecstatic spiritual experience or feeling mm. so he was very inspired by that and also this is a poem that i found when i was reading it with somebody who i love very dearly and like when we read it together it was like we were talking to each other through this guy so something that is reaching across like hundreds and hundreds of years halfway across the world found me at an exact moment where it was like it was supposed to be so you guys were reading it to each other mm -hmm. so it's almost like a way for you to communicate with each other from someone else's words hundreds of years ago exactly that's wild. <laughs> yeah, I, I started crying. It's uh, it's from the Collected Poems of Rumi by Coleman Barks, translated by Coleman Barks, uh, page nine. Okay. Which is my favorite number. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you uh, sharing sharing one of your favorite uh, poetry artists. Oh, I got a million more, but we have uh, a finite amount of time. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about what about um, something that you've written? I'd be interested in, in hearing hearing one of your favorites as well. Okay. I can definitely do that. And then I thought maybe I could share with you maybe a few poems that I found. Yes. <laughs> I did not write them. Okay. But I just, they're, they're more so just like um, popular poems that I uh, came across on Reddit. Okay. 
for sure. That's fine. Uh, I would have been more stoked to hear something you wrote, but that's just because you and I are here. So oh. it's, it's I mean, very... I do have some like old song lyrics that I've written somewhere, but I don't know if I want to share them. <laughs> you, you do, I do actually, what you actually, feel. I do have one that maybe I would love to share with you, but probably off camera. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That's I absolutely accept that. Yes, I'd have to go find it. Okay, so... Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> do you remember when the uh, Infinite Mirrors exhibit was here in Seattle? Yes, and I wanted to go, and it was like so popular I couldn't get in. <clears throat> there were lines around the block, yeah. for sure. You had to like reserve your spot and everything. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure I went two or three times with the same person to try and go see it, and we finally got in, I think, the third time. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, this is... Portrait of a mirror selfie taken inside Yayoi Kusama's Infinite Mirrors exhibit. Inside a green box of mirrors, we are side by side, and you are taller. I wonder, do you not like that about me? No changing it, I suppose, so let's talk about something else. You're wearing the special wool jacket I loved that you always let me wear. One of a kind, alternating red and black and gray arrows on it. Was this the time I ever saw? Was this the last time I ever saw you in it? I know that girl stole it from the house you lived in with my old best friend. I'm in gray baseball tee with the jellyfish and my trippy purple and blue trucker hat from work with pins on it. Black skinny jeans. Our copies stretch forevermore, all sides reverberating into murky green darkness, which is the future and past. It is so amphibian how we are now both underwater and on land. I've been having trouble breathing lately, especially around you. It's a tricky business trying not to take up too much space while still hoping you see how I see the couples in the mirror. Little white tubers with tiny red spots litter around our feet and grow themselves in the population of mirrors. I am reminded of everlasting strawberry meadows as I ask myself about forever, holding my phone up so the camera catches us together. The ceiling speaks of fluorescence like black back in school when I asked a girl under the tires at recess to marry me. She looked at the plastic ring I offered her. I'd gotten it from a machine at the drugstore for a quarter. She took the ring and threw it in the dirt. I stayed under until the bell rang, bitter, silent, damp tears under my eyes. We stand side by side. You are taller. You and I both hold our phones up to the mirror at the same level. Who are all these people? We have talked so many times about other lives. I'm eternally jealous of your memory of yours. How many tries to get this right? I wonder what you are seeing while we look at the same thing. The air hums like another moment I remember so well. Wow. You wrote that. I did write that. <clears throat> There's a lot to take in there. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. <clears throat> I, yes. So what was going on in your life when you wrote that? What were you thinking? So, um... Well, this would be really embarrassing if she watches this episode, but I doubt she will because she's a very like effervescent figure, not often on social media. So um, <clears throat> there's a person I love like very, 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 very much and um, always had like a kind of thing for her. And we've known each other for a long time, but uh, we went to the exhibit together. We took a selfie together <clears throat> and I was just thinking about her the other night or not the other night. Well, let me look and see when I wrote this. Uh, June 8th, one day before my birthday. Um, <clears throat> I hadn't seen her in about a year. I still haven't seen her for about a year. And I was just kind of like flicking through pictures of us together. And then I saw the uh, the selfie that's mentioned in the poem. And uh, I just got like a really strong feeling by the, the green murkiness in the back with the mirrors and like so seeing copies of us like telescoping off into infinity, basically infinity mirrors. Um, <laughs> so, hey, <laughs> I get it. Um, so then I was just like struck by a very strong feeling. 
Uh, and I was just like, oh man, this feeling and the images, like this is a poem. This is a like very, very good poem. And I knew hmm. it was before I wrote it. And so uh, I wrote it in about, I want to say 20, 25 minutes. I have since cleaned it up after like the first draft. I've made edits and changes and stuff, but the, the bones of that were uh, developed in about 20 minutes. Okay. Well, I really liked it. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting to hear how, like, you have this experience in real life, and then how it gets translated through poetry, and how you've chosen to express it. Um, what was the part about the ring? Oh, the ring. Yeah. So there was a girl who. I know that she won't see this. Uh, her name's Carla. <laughs> her name's Carla Walter. And uh, <laughs> when I think it, we were probably like in second or third grade, but I, like I had like the fattest crush on her. Uh, and she was also taller than me. I was like the shortest kid in my class from like grades one through twelve almost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one time I was going to ask her to marry me, and uh, I went down to the drugstore. I, I lived in a town of like a thousand people. Uh, and we had one of those old fashioned drugstores, you know, and so, um, they had like little plastic containers with little rings in them for like 25 cents. So I put the 25 cents in, cranked the knob, mm-hmm. came out. And then, uh, I, we have, um, we had these tires that were like, um, half buried in the dirt, uh, surrounding our, um, our playground, like our, uh, jungle gym. And, uh, some of them were so big that you could fit under them when you were like, six seven eight years old so uh, i asked her under the tires for like privacy uh and we like sat there and then i like asked her to marry me with the <laughs> ring and she, so wait how old are you i think i was like six or seven <laughs> <laughs> the last time i was able to make a commitment that strong <laughs> and, <laughs> and the ring got thrown in the dirt Aww. and uh it's a very sad story but now i can laugh about it while crying on the inside uh, so she said no <laughs> she didn't need to say anything, unfortunately. She just took it and threw it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Ungrateful. I know, right? Fine. You can do better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that more than anything, honestly. More than how good my poem was, I appreciate that part. That, that hits home. Okay, so let me let me read a few poems that I saw that were on Reddit that I thought were kind of interesting. Are you, maybe you've already heard them. Have you ever heard... I'm really bad with like titles and names. It's like hard for me to know. But there's there's a poetry that a lot of people on Reddit like called uh, "Do Not Stand at My Grave and Weep" by Mary Elizabeth Fry. It's these are all pretty short. Okay. Um, I like this one. It says, um, "Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow." I am the sun on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you awaken in the morning's hush, I am the swift, uplifting rush of quiet birds in circled flight. I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. I think I just really like that one because I recently lost a really good friend of mine who OD'd. And I think reading that made me think about like that even though I don't see him, like I still feel like he's somewhere. I don't know. Yes. I still feel sometimes I still feel his presence and I don't know what it means, but like it just really resonated with me. It was really uh, powerful in that sense. I have a poem in my book. uh, It's called Requiem. Uh, and it's basically about a bunch of friends of mine who have OD'd. So, um, that's, that message reson- uh, resonates with me quite a lot as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's also important to have that perspective of what if this energy that powers our consciousness and the physical shell, what if it's not temporary? what if the body is temporary and this body is just borrowing this energy for a moment until it gets expended. And then the energy that is like infinite goes elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, it seems likely to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) See, I mean, it makes sense 
I mean, it's just as, I don't know, I feel like it's just as valid of a theory as a lot of the other theories that people go around uh, purporting as truth. So Yeah, exactly. And honestly, it's uh, whatever you believe, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, I don't know that anybody has a right to tell you that it's wrong. Yeah. I love it. What about um, uh, the the poem by, let's see, Shel Silverstein? Uh, the blue one. It's like... <laughs> I love Shell. Uh-huh. That one's fun. It's real short. It says, uh, she had blue skin, and so did he. He kept it hid, and so did she. They searched for blue their whole life through, then passed right by and never knew. Like, real short and sweet poem. But it's like, you know, you have these unique qualities and traits about you that, like, you know, you or maybe you're afraid of what other people think of you. And so then you don't go around expressing yourself and being who you want to be, but then you never find other people that vibe with that. And so I like, I like that poem. Cause it's like a reminder of like, you know, let your freak flag fly kind yes. of thing. <laughs> like be yourself. Absolutely. No, I, I 100% subscribe to that. And also it's another reason to be bold and be the freak on the outside because you know if you go through life seeming like everybody else it's going to be that much harder to find the people who do salute the same flag because yeah. they're not going to know yeah it's like as long as you're out there being your weird freaky self like people are going to see it and then some aren't going to like it and some are going to be like yeah we should be friends like yeah. now and you're like that's one of the great things that I liked about going to like a music festival is I feel like it's just so much more socially acceptable for people to go there and just be whoever they like actually want to be. And then you see other people that like are similar to you and you're like, oh, you like these things. Like probably would have never found that out if I had met you like in the real world. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. it's kind of cool to like see like what freedom of expression can actually look like when it's uh, when they're you're in a no judgment zone kind of thing yeah absolutely and you see people who have like you know <clears throat> pins or whatever from your favorite tv show or like a really or someone's got like a really friggin um obscure reference to a certain thing that you are like very in into and then you both like strike up a friendship because you know you both knew this really obscure thing about this one tv show or song lyric or whatever and you're just like we are friends <laughs> <laughs> like that's yeah. there's no discussion needed beyond yeah. the hey i like your sign or i like your pin yeah and then people are just like yeah i think one of the best friends that i've made through the like the EDM scene was because he had an affinity for corgis and I had one too. And then we just like, we both love these dogs so much. Like all of a sudden we realized we had so many other things in common too. It's just such a, such a weird thing to like, like a, like a one data point can be like an indicator that like you have a lot more things in common. It's, I don't know. It's weird how that works. Absolutely. That's, um, uh, it's those points of, uh, connection that like radiate radiate out into like fractals of more things that you yeah. have in common yeah all right right uh and then and then there's this poem you read this one <laughs> did you see this yeah <laughs> she is a goddess to me my sun and my moon a luscious garden of beauty my ship through the storm and that butt hot <laughs> <laughs> What what do you, what do you think of that poem? <laughs> it's gorgeous. Uh, I, I I actually like really like the artwork. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You got the ship and the <laughs> the guy is like the in sea. the water or something. Is he in the water? Or is he on the land, laying sitting down? I don't know. I'm not sure because it looks like she's standing on land because <laughs> right. her posture is like very for sure firm, yes. and it looks like he's just kind of like either on his knees, like worshiping the booty yeah. or something like that. Yeah. That's what I'm getting out of it. Yeah, or he's maybe he's a merman. He could he be can't a see the rest of him. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> um. Okay, um, let's talk about, uh, let's talk more about like writing poetry. Like, where do you get your inspiration from? Okay. So, the best thing about poetry and being inspired, uh, is that it trains you to, um, to be inspired, uh, and to see inspiration. Cause one of the most important things for me is to remain open and receptive. Uh, I think it's a fallacy to say that, you know, there are only certain things that can be turned into poetry. I think that if you do it well, anything can be turned into poetry. Mm. Like, t 
talking about the the soda can that's on your counter and like the way that it's reflecting and bending and concave and like forming everything uh to its shape according to the way that light hits it and the shadows play and it actually reminds me of the poem anecdote of a jar and i can't remember who it's by i think it's wallace wallace stevens but more openly for me I kind of let things filter through until something that catches my eye definitely and like holds it there. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, we are, our, our eyes rove around and just like take in so much data and we process so much. And when I see something that catches my eye and makes it stop and I just kind of like look at it and I consider it from all these different um, angles and, uh, filter it through my own perception and then there's like a a ping pong of or sorry a pinball effect where this image is like it could be the ball or gravity and then it suddenly like pings around and like lights up all these other different points of reference for me personally like the poem i just read about the mirror selfie somehow the feeling the emotion that i was experiencing and the image um the prominent image in the poem also lit up the image of me being under the tires, giving Carla Walter that ring. And so anything that makes that chain reaction inside me emotionally, uh, through my memory and creates all those connections immediately is something that I, um, that I pay attention to and ultimately use for, Mm -hmm. for my poem. Yeah. I feel like coffee helps me with that. Maybe sometimes cannabis. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, I think there's something to be said about like there's lots of different tools out there that like I think help you connect the dots. Um, for me, one of the things that I like to talk about as a I work in learning experience design, and I have to understand like how do adults learn, and there are the two different modes of thinking. There is, um, you know, for somebody who. Um, studies this. I always forget the word, but it's it's actually called. Um, there's focus mode and diffuse mode, two different f- modes in your brain. And so, like fo- focus mode is where like you're really trying to do something, and then diffuse mode is where you're not thinking about anything at all, and your brain's trying to make sense of everything that you've put inside it. Hmm. Right. So, like if I go for a run, if I s- sit in my shower, if I lay in bed at night, if I allow like space for meditation, I think, I think it's like your brain goes into this mode called diffuse mode where it's like trying to connect the dots and like make sense of everything. And I think those are where my eureka moments come from where like, I'll get stumped on an issue. Like, I don't know what the hell to do about this. I'm so lost. I'll go for a run with my dog. I'll go take a shower and just sit there on the floor. I'll just sit there for like a half an hour and just think. And then like all of a sudden, like, I feel like I mean, some people call it divine intervention, but I feel like just thoughts just start to come from, I don't know where. And it's like a lot of the time they're like, I feel like some, something out there is like figuring it out for me or it's me. I don't know. (laughs) Or those two things could be the same thing. Right. Which is another like divine intervention is just another, you know, piece of language or different terminology for consciousness, unified consciousness theory, all these types of things. And you're talking about like diffuse mode. That's, I mean, Einstein relied on that. Like yeah. Einstein was all about like, hmm, I can't figure this thing out. I'm going to go on a walk. I'm going to sit in my chair and just kind of like stare into space and watch the light change. And that's pretty sure that's how he discovered the theory of EMC squared, where he was just like sitting in his living room, like spacing out and he watched the light like move across the floor. And he was just like, Oh, Eureka. And there was also, um, um, there was also a Salvador Dali. One of the things that they would do is um, sit on a a chair with a key in his hand, and when he'd fall asleep, the key would drop out of his hand, like just drop out, and the key, the sound would like wake him back up, and then he would start writing down all of those uh, thoughts from diffuse mode, like the 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 Eureka ideas. Yeah, dream imagery and dream logic, and um, oh man. I love Dolly because he cultivated inspiration in such a unique way. Uh, he used to, there's a picture of him sleeping and there was a sign above the bed that said silence. Dolly is working. Mm-hmm. And like, I just love the fact that he used dreams and dream imagery to such, um, like great heights and expanses. 
So we're kind of talking about another question already, which is overcoming writer's block. So it sounds like you like trying to participate in any kind of activity that helps you connect the dots. So like what kinds of things do you do to try to overcome writer's block or have we touched on them? Uh, so with regard to writer's block, Oh man, I forgot what the article was, but there was an article in Poets and Writers magazine a little while ago talking about writer's block and she basically posited that there were like 10 or 15 different issues that might be going on with you at any different time that make you call what you're going through writer's block. Okay. So it could be like a matter of um fear of uh something not being perfect or um just having too much stuff going on in your life. Um, so I don't necessarily think that writer's block is that big of a concern, especially when you're operating out of a, uh, an abundance mindset as opposed to a scarcity mindset. Cause if you're, you know, if you're on a deadline or if you are, you know, pressuring yourself or feeling frustrated to create something, it's not going to flow as well as if you just have faith and accept that right now you don't feel like creating. Yeah. And or maybe you just work on a different project and come back to it. Yeah. I mean, having a bunch of different uh, projects in the air is a great way to, to go about that. Um, if I ever have like a feeling or, you know, like a an urge to create something, I usually I usually I journal about it and I just kind of like I think about a feeling that I want to create. Like I have an idea for a poem, but the, the emotion isn't fully formed. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like that. Normally when I try and expound on the feeling that I'm trying to create ideas for that will pop up because again, the pinball machine lights up inside and you're like, Oh, this emotion reminds me of this uh, mm -hmm. thing that happened or this ding, image. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> exactly. And the board just lights up and you're like, Oh mm. yeah, there we are. Like that's exactly what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And above all, I think it's important not to put too much pressure on yourself. Um, especially, I mean, for most people, you know, you don't have an editor breathing down your back. You haven't signed a book deal. You haven't gotten an advance, you know, so it's more important for you to arrive at your material organically and just kind of like let it come. I think the issue, though, is everyone is their own worst critic. Yes. It's like, yes, they don't have all those things, but it's like what they're creating represents themselves and their ego and seeing something that they're dissatisfied with is very hard for a lot of people to deal with. Yes. So it's like, maybe my question to you is like, what advice do you give to aspiring poetry writers out there that are extremely critical of what they do or just any artist in general? Like, um, how can enjoyment be found when nothing seems right? First of all, I would say to, start a project um, where you promise yourself that no one is going to see it. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> through doing that, eliminating the expectation of other people, uh, all you are setting out with the intent to do is to play because one of the most important things for children all the way up to old people is to be able to play. And, if you are able to kind of establish a feeling of joy and freedom within whatever you're doing, if it gives you joy, like poetry, like writing should give you joy. Ultimately, if not, you should probably find something else that gives you joy. Yeah. Why um, are you doing it? <laughs> exactly. And then second of all, the feeling of fear or, you know, something not being enough. If you ever come across that, I would encourage you to step back and then ask yourself, is it better to try at something and fail or just completely leave the page blank and never have tried at all? Yeah. Would you feel happy if you had nothing to show and the, uh, the cause of that lack is because you were afraid or would you rather be brave and just kind of accept that the first draft of anything is kind of crap. And then also dovetailing that with a third piece of advice Ernest Hemingway said the first draft of anything is crap. And that's a dude who won the Nobel prize for literature. And he said, the most important thing to do is get it down. Don't worry about how good it is because 
uh, you'll be able to fix it in post and it's going to look so much better and sound so much better when you have new eyes on this piece that you've created and it's almost going to be unrecognizable in sight and feeling once you're done with it. Have you ever heard of this video right here called uh, Famous Failures? It's just like a, a three-minute video that kind of goes over some of like the like most popular famous people that just had a really like rough start in the beginning and it's like a lot of people think of these people like they were just born amazing they were just born that way and it's just simply not the case like right there is this concept that um that we try to use in the in the learning uh industry called growth mindset that it is through practice and repetition that we get better and that every time you fail, you're one step closer to succeeding. And it's like seeing failure as like a necessary part of the experience. And I don't know how that translates to writing poetry. I mean, like maybe because the because the concept of failure is kind of subjective. Like if you read a if you read your poetry and you say, "Oh, I don't like it," maybe that's failure to yourself. But after you know, several revisions, maybe you start to hate it a little bit less. And then it's like, that that is a success when you start to it like your, and maybe other people start to like it. And I think um, you can never, what, what, there's like a famous quote that's like, um, um, it's like sucking, sucking at something is the first step to being kind of good at something. Jake right? the dog. Yeah. <clears throat> You've heard that? <laughs> Jake the dog. Yes. Uh, Adventure time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. No. Um, I have a lot of different things to say about that. Um, first of all, if you want to be a poet or, you know, if you want to be a writer, if you want to be an actor, uh, you are already that once you start doing it. Number one, you are what you say you are. Exactly. You are what you believe. You are what you do. Uh, all those types of things are true. And so, so um, wait, am I, a, am I like a TV host right now? You are. Oh my God, dude. Holy you, shit. You have arrived. <laughs> oh my God. And now it's only going to get better. Like that's the that's the wonderful thing. And it's crazy hearing you say that because I like still don't like see myself that way. But like I am hosting a show right now, so I am exactly. And uh, <laughs> that's another thing that I have to say about what you uh, the topic that you just broached, which is um, the more you do something, the better you get. Like I look back at some of the poems that I wrote about a year ago or whatever now, and sometimes I read from uh, my first book of poems, and I'm almost embarrassed because. They don't seem good to me anymore. They sounded great when I first wrote them, but that is two or three years of experience between that mm -hmm. poem and where I'm at now. So that means that I'm so good and my judgment of what is good and my abilities as a poet have progressed so far to make these things that I wrote years ago pale in comparison to my judgment now and what I'm writing now. Mm -hmm. So you get continually better the more you do anything. That is a wonderful and also sad part of life just because it means you have to do stuff. But it's also nice because if you do stuff, you get better at that stuff. But and also shouldn't we be grateful for looking back and being embarrassed of what we've created? Because that means that we are getting better, right? Yes, like absolutely. If, if you looked at everything in the past and you were super proud of it, no matter how far you get in life, you'd be like, well, are you really progressing at all? Right. And, or would you like, would you be proud or would you be kind of sad or bored? Like if you like were, were perfect at everything, there would be such a, yeah. where's the fun in that? Exactly. And fun and play is what we're all about. And like, or we should be all about and yeah. being able to kind of step back and recognize that this is fun. And, um, I think that's one of the most important things that you could ever think about is that you have to find the thing that is fun, makes you lose hours of time and all that kind of stuff and just gives you a certain sense of joy or accomplishment. Tell me about this book. Tell me about um, why, how did you go come about like wanting to write it and what it's about and uh, convince people out there uh, watching this show to want to pick up a copy. <laughs> All right, cool. So um, this book came about... Uh, so the first poem I wrote in it is called Nuclear Summer, which I mentioned earlier. And <clears throat> this was at the tail end of my doing a lot of psychedelics, figuring out a lot of stuff about the universe, existence, my own consciousness, my 
uh, my emotions, my uh, connection to other people and other animals and the world at large and all this kind of stuff. And then I hit a roadblock where uh, I got broken up with and um, just felt some really some real emotions that I had not felt since before I did psychedelics. Cause when I was on psychedelics, everything was great. I was abundance mindset all the time. Like the world is wonderful. You know, everything is happening exactly as it should for me, all these other things. And then roadblock, I get broken up with. And then I moved back to Seattle. I was living like in uh, Olympia area for a while with my girlfriend. We were planning on moving back to Seattle together. I ended up moving back to Seattle alone. And so uh, the first poem was angry. It was it felt betrayed. It um, was fed up with other people. And so I think this book in general evolved out of the knowledge and the fact of how life is a series of peaks and valleys and how spirituality isn't always, you know, enlightenment it isn't always being your best self spirituality is a constant process to try and become better than you were yesterday and so that's why in the about or the i don't know the info about the book it just says spiritual or spiritual spirituality isn't what you think and enlightenment is not a bunch of chanting om and lotus petals <laughs> so it's not always that way you know um a lot of the time when you're awakening or being enlightened, uh, shit falls apart. Like you, um, are overwhelmed. You're having all these new emotions that you've never like had before. And so I think that's what the book came out of was just trying to navigate this forest of emotions that were like coming at me. And I, especially after thinking that I had reached some form of enlightenment to be, thrust back into my humanness without the aid of psychedelics and just trying to figure out what exactly what is going on. And so the book tells a kind of narrative about like going from a, a low vibration, uh, low vibrational frequency to like a higher vibrational one. So hmm. you go from one kind of mindset and gradually, um, phase into the other, I guess. And okay. also notice how a lot of the time they both operate at the same time. Well, it sounds really interesting. Um, and I, I love the cover cover is very interesting as well. So the cover was designed by one of my, uh, or the art for it was designed by, um, one of my favorite artists on Instagram. His name is Eli Klemek. Uh, also his Instagram is N E O M L E I Neo M Lee. And, uh, he did my book cover for about 150 bucks total. I think. And then my wow, friend, look at this. Yeah. His stuff is incredible. He lives in Chelan, Washington. He moved to New York for a little bit and now he's back. Um, but yeah, his stuff is amazing. Uh, I fell in love with it. Like he likes skeleton. Yes, he does. <laughs> so do I. I have a tattoo of a skeleton on my uh -huh. left shoulder blade. What do you think it is about, um, um, skeleton art that like is appealing to some people, but also is jarring to others. It's like you're being forced to face the reality that we are all going to die. Is that? Yes. It's like kind of, and people kind of get off and like, haha, I'm gonna like make you think about this. I think that it's um, what is it? Number one, it's aesthetically pleasing to some. Like uh, even without a knowledge of what it is, I think it's a beautiful image. Um, but. The skull has been like a trope in art for a very long time. Um, in plays, it has always made a, an appearance, especially back in Shakespeare's time, like Hamlet, you know, mm -hmm. the famous scene with mm -hmm. the to be or not to be. Uh -huh. So, in that's, uh, that's a trope called memento mori, and that's Latin for remember your mortality or mm. re remember you are going to die. I think a lot of people are trying to forget that. Exactly. And I think a lot of people are trying to remind people because they know they're trying to forget. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing because it's another, you know, go out and make the art you want to make, go out and ask the girl in second grade to marry you, go out and take that risk because 20 life, years life is short. Yeah. And 20 years later, if you live that long, you're going to be more upset by the things you didn't do than by the things you did do. Cause there's always going to be that wondering 
And so I think it's important. I think it's an important message always to just remember, like, dude, no time is guaranteed except for the present. Like, we always get so bogged down, like, anxious about the future. But, like, what are you doing right now that is going to be able to, like, see you through these next however many years or decades or, um, you know, whatever the case may be? Yeah, for sure. I like this one. (laughs) (laughs) The voyage continues continues regardless. regardless. Yeah. And then this one's called. Oh, his stuff is so awesome. I I have a friend that would love this. And you can buy prints of his stuff, I believe, uh, on Etsy. And he also sells um, stickers, like holographic stickers you can put on your laptop or whatever the case may be. His stuff is amazing. I have one of his... um, one of his pieces of art and it's oh man i can't remember what it says on the piece of art but is this it's, him yes that okay. is him that is he okay. great artist it's amazing you got him to do your book cover i was honestly surprised at how receptive he was and how uh low the price was that he quoted me i was just like all right um and are you planning on uh trying to get him to do the cover of your next book as well no uh it's going to be a different kind of vibe okay uh, so and the title <laughs> tell us how you came up with the title of this one all right so um <laughs> so i was uh having dinner at uh anthony's on the pier in seattle uh with uh the person who i was dating at the time and uh the book is named after a poem of the same title uh, very last poem in the book. And so one time we were at the, uh, at Anthony's on the pier, like looking out over the water. And I would like, I looked down the pier to the shipping yard and, um, you know, those big cranes that are there to lift shipping containers off of the actual like cargo ships. They're all orange and they look like dinosaurs, mm. like straight out of like uh land before time. Dude. It's so, it's so interesting that you're saying that because I would always say when I would be in that area that it looks like Jurassic park, like all the cranes and yeah, it it's does little foot. Yeah. yeah little I would, mom. I, you remember back when the viaduct was still there? Yes. So I'd be driving down the viaduct out of Seattle, like going south, and I would start humming. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, the, so the dinosaurs are orange in Seattle, and if you know, you know. And so um, my buddy was dating someone who works at the shipyard, and she took a picture on the pier of... Um, of the orange dinosaurs with Seattle skyline in the background. So I found a dude, uh, on Instagram, uh, who does really amazing, like watercolor stuff. Um, and I will tell you the, the account of that. So we can pull that up too, because his stuff is also very, very good. Um, but he does watercolors. So I was going to take that picture and have him do a watercolor painting. Um, of the actual picture that I got. And so that's going to be the actual uh, book cover. So I'm kind of going with a more, uh, yeah, watercolor smeared like water type vibe. Mm. It makes sense because it's Seattle, I guess. But yeah, there's a, there's a picture of a, I think it, or it looks like the Manhattan bridge. I don't know if it is the Manhattan bridge, like further down somewhere. But, um, yeah, that's the kind of vibe I'm trying to create with the interesting. Yeah. Wow. This is the guy. Yeah. This is the guy. Mm -hmm. That the guy. And so how did you discover this guy? I literally, um, searched on Instagram, uh, watercolor art, color painting, watercolor, um, landscape or cityscape. And I've had his, uh, my, uh, I've had the idea for that, um, like a watercolor type cover for probably about eight months, 10 months. So the whole time I had been like looking for that type of art and I was just like, that's, that's the dude. There you go. Well, uh, Ryan Downey, I've learned a lot about poetry and, uh, I'm excited to check out your book right here. The flowers leaning toward the sun um for all you out there uh definitely check his book out you can uh pop over to amazon right here uh pick up a copy and uh, i imagine your your newer book will be on here as well you can just search 
uh, Ryan Downey. He's the author. And um, how can how can uh, viewers out there get in touch with you if they want to collab or ask you questions about your poetry, etc.? What would you want them to do? Uh, just pop over to Instagram and uh, look up uh, Rye of Wands. That is me. Uh, I'm also uh, in the process of getting together the second issue of my poetry magazine that I'm uh, making with my buddy Ely and I, and it's called Beatific, Beatific Poetry Magazine, uh, beatific.mag on uh, Instagram, and it's for poetry that um, tries to exhibit the beatific state of bliss or awe and try and kind of like capture uh, the present moment and kind of like lift us up to uh, a more uh, rapturous state than we normally find ourselves. There we go. So yeah, if you're interested in uh, poetry and want to follow his magazine, uh, follow this Instagram account or reach out to him on Rye of Wands. All right. Rye, thanks for being on the show. Thank you this so much for having me. It was a great experience. Me. It was a lot of fun. All right.